Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, you could rate it, you could review it, you can subscribe to it, you could smash that subscribe button, which is what we really want you to do. And even more than that, you know, tell two or three people, tell 15 people, tell, I don't know, a lot. Just tell a lot. I, I would settle for 15. Steve is asking for the moon and the stars, but that's okay. I'll ask. Uh, also ask for one more thing, and that is to check out the YouTube page and click the subscribe button on that page as well. Click, turn all the notifications on, all that great stuff. Check out the new show, A Football Show, as it is creatively titled, um, between Zach Lyons and myself covering all things football in the state of Tennessee. Really SEC, had the copywriters working is, overtime for that one, didn't Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they some of them wanted V. We went with A. It's fine. Uh, Creative big, choices. I get it. A lot get of it. a lot of branding discussions went into that one. It's a yeah. it's a it's a big one. Um, make sure you're doing that and all the other great shows. Of course, Adam Bingham, the Gold Standard, covering Nashville Predators playoff air quotes run, um, and then uh, obviously Fringe Element talking SEC club and maybe over by the time you listen to this, <laughs> right? Club and country. Of course, Wes and Tim do a great job covering Nashville SC as uh, Geodis Park is now open. So uh, I can give you a little review of Geodis Park. You and I can both uh, do that as we were there on Sunday. So we can do that a little bit later on, along with our recommendations as well. On the show today, Mel freaking Kuyper, a man who invented an entire broadcast industry on his own. The hair himself is here. (laughs) And... um, the efficiency with which he gets words into an interview should not be surprising. It is faster than Ole Miss's offense. It is very fast. Um, as I was telling my wife after the conversation, it was just his his uh, his tone and delivery and pattern of speech, which he talks about in our interview, is is almost like a part of my sports childhood. Like it just like the '90s, where there was no other option to what but to watch. ESPN's coverage of the draft if you wanted good draft coverage and his delivery and his tone and his vibe and his brand I could not I was talking telling Haley like this is a huge part of like my adolescent NFL fandom is Mel Kuyper and uh it was a great conversation we had a lot of fun with him Mel is uh, the the rapid fire thing to me is just hilarious he has so much information to transmit and you know, when you watch him on the draft, he's like, uh, they'll, they'll pull somebody up and he'll drop like, you know, he'll drop like 100, 150 words on somebody in, you know, inside of inside of 25, 30 seconds. I mean, it's just rapid fire. And so you think, oh, well, that's what he's doing for the draft. No, 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 no. He does that for everything. <laughs> you just wind him up and let him go. <laughs> yes. And I've had a chance. It's, it's I've fantastic. had a chance. Yeah, I've had a chance to do a couple of radio shows with him. And yeah, it's exactly the same. Like, this is how it's how he is in this interview. It's how he is on the air for the NFL draft for 40 years. And it's it's just how he is. He's just naturally this way. Um, and I am so unbelievably jealous of his ability to live in like Twitter ignorance and just like to just not care. And he'll explain this like he doesn't read anything about himself. He he does. He works on his game and his craft. He He double, you know. He air checks himself to make sure he can correct mistakes, but he is not out there reading your tweets. <laughs> he is not. So, so I am so jealous of that as a self-admitted Twitter addict. I am uh, so, so uh, jealous of his ignorance. So uh, before we hear that from that interview, we do a Jodis Park review as well as some recommendations. Um, Lamestream Sports is in fact brought to you by Jaspers, always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. Can't believe they're still with us, but thanks Jaspers. You're still with us here. Go to Jasper's free parking on West End. Great drink specials for however many Predators games. Patio is open. Patio, Patio is open. It is, in fact, open. And it's very real. It's very spectacular. And many people are talking about it. Also, the game room. Apparently, game room, huge hit, which should not be a surprise because it's all free. We've told you this on the show. Ski ball, Papa shot, air hockey. In fact, I think it's the best air hockey table in Middle Tennessee. I have not found a better one. It is. It is certainly. Uh, it, it is certainly pristine. Although you know, the more people play it, <laughs> it take it take it does take a few hits. If if people played it by the rules and not slamming their paddles down on top of it, like let some it people on this podcast, let it go. maybe Just the table would last let it go. longer. People don't care about this. Let it go. Oh, it's a people. This is a very big deal. Okay, the, people are leaving the state of Tennessee. They're moving We're away. Turning this podcast off now. Okay. All right. All right. So then, in which case, go to Jasper's free parking, great food, great place to watch sporting events, and a patio and a game room. So, what else do you need to know? 
go to Jasper's. Again, Jodis Park Review, as well as recommendations on content coming up later on. But uh, I, we'll just let Mel do the rest of the work here because he is fantastic. Uh, lots of insight on his career and how the draft got started and how he sort of invented it uh, and a whole lot of other stuff as well. Here's our conversation with the great Mel Kuyper. Mel, great to see you. I know you just had a whirlwind couple of months of your of your schedule here, so we appreciate your time. How are you, sir? Good, Brad. Good to be with you. Uh, we don't have Dari with us, so it'll just be me and you today. <laughs> I tried to get him to join us, but he refused. It's the only time I get to hang out with you is when Dari's not around. That's how it works. Uh, <laughs> had a show today, yeah. So can you try to explain to people what your work schedule is like time-wise? Like dur- how many hours during the day? the month of the draft, and then the weekend of the draft? Like, what does the actual amount of work you're doing look like for people out there? Well, the work is basically done, Brain. It's more so just doing all the shows and all the, you know, the podcast. Todd uh, uh, McShay, Field Yates, and I do a you know, first draft podcast. We do it twice a week. So that's something you have to prepare for and do. And then the TV and then the radio and the dot-com kind of all comes together every day. So it's really the work when the players, Braden, is done, the ratings, the evaluations. Now you still have to do mock drafts leading up to the draft, but all the work from the standpoint of evaluating players is over. That it just becomes, you know, what TV shows do you have today, what radio, what .com, what podcasts, uh, all the different things you need to do in terms of talking about the players. But actually, the actually hard work of evaluating all the kids and trying to make those final decisions all is over probably for me, Braden, around April 1st. I mean, I'll tweak a couple things. You hear something pro day here, this injury news, some interview, this, that, and the other thing that could be happening. But by and large, majority, I'd say 98% of the evaluations are over by April 1st. Mel, I always imagine that that off screen where I can't see it is just this just infinite amount of information available available to you that that you're that you access when you're when you're on a show, when you're when you're on the radio, wherever else. How do you how do you keep all of that sort of in your head? Do you are you refreshing? Do you have do you have index cards? What what's the process there? No, I have nothing. Usually, I, I what I try to do is every time I write something, I'll remember it. So that's when I'm writing something myself. All the reports that I write, everything I do for the Daria Mel show, Braden's filled in for Daria several times with me. Anything you do for that standpoint, I do the research during the week on basketball, baseball, whatever it may be that we're talking about. And then by, if I write it, I remember it. If I see it, I remember it. So if I'm watching a game, I'll remember what I saw. So I've luckily enough have been able to do that over the years where I don't have to refer to notes. Um, most all the notes that I have are my notes. So if I have to check a stat or check something, I'll do that. But by and large, I've always been lucky enough to if I write some, all the books that I wrote, I could remember what I wrote. If I didn't write it, I wouldn't remember it. So that, that's always been the way I've operated over the years, which really helps me as Brayden knows. We get those. Kuiper's caller segments where you're getting, you know, random calls, which we don't even know. As you know, Brad, we don't know where those calls are coming from. Right. We don't know what these guys are going to, guys and gals are going to ask. So we have no idea until the call comes in. And you can't be sitting there jumping through. Oh, hold on a second there, Pete from, from uh, St. Louis. Let me, let me check. Let me check something real. You can't do that. You know, you know, Brad, you got to keep it moving. So you got to be able to at least, and that segment really challenges you to, be able to you know talk right off the top of your head and give it an immediate response. You don't have time enough to sift through notes. So I, I, I think notes become kind of a crutch for me. If I if I have them, you become more reliant on them. If you don't have them, you just let it go. And whatever you have, you have. If you don't remember a certain stat, so be it. It's funny. I think you did. I think we did take a call on like a North Dakota like offensive lineman, and like you were ready to go. Like you were like boom, boom, boom. You you were ready to well, go with it. And this was like months ago. Afraid- yeah, normally they're guys you have scouted. Now, if there isn't right. one, say, hey, you know more about that guy than I do. Maybe, maybe I missed them, you know, because there's always going to be somebody that somebody will come up with a player that you just haven't done a lot of work on or you're not even aware of for that matter. But you should know the NFL guys, the college kids. You can always find them. They always they always kid me about it. Kuiper knows the third string long snapper at Pittsburgh State in Kansas. No, I don't. That's it. I, mean, I don't have it. I don't have to know everybody playing. So you can always stump me on some backup or some guy that was a decent player in college, but had no pro potential necessarily. Uh, there's always there's a million kids playing college football. So, uh, but you, you try to do the best you can. And then like I say with the radio show, which we know that that's the, 
that's the time where you have to talk off the top of your head. You don't like say right. you do not have time during a three hour show where you're getting calls and we're having conversations about and you could bring up anything. Sorry, you could bring up anything out of the blue. Wait, wait a minute. Let me just check and see what you're talking. You could go to the Internet here. I don't even have a, I don't have a computer with me. I don't have a laptop. I don't have anything with me when I'm doing the show. So I'm not sitting there checking anything. I can't Google anything. I can't check a Wikipedia. I don't have any of that with me when I'm doing the radio show. Let's. So what does that look like? originally when TV first goes to when the draft first goes to TV and you're, you're the guy doing this from the very beginning, you're, are you suggest like you started from the very beginning with no notes, you were doing all those draft shows in the nineties and all that stuff. Like you're doing all of that off of the top of your head for seven rounds, every single pick 250 plus picks you've, have you changed that process or is it the same from the day one to the, to today? Well, I'll give you an interesting story. Back in 83, 84, 84 draft, 83 season, 84 draft, I went up to ESPN was my first draft with Chris Berman and Bob Lee. We were in Connecticut, okay? We're at a desk, and we got into the second round, and I had no note. I mean, I'm just sitting there with Boomer. We're talking. You know, I didn't have it. We were doing the first round. We got into the middle, I think it was a middle to late second round, and we left for, a, I think, for a tractor pull, okay? We left the second <laughs> round to go to a tractor pull. No, not no lie. Wait a minute. <laughs> Speed car, a speedboat race, tractor pull. We left the NFL draft to go to that in like midway through the second round. After we had Boomer Sice and went a little uh, uh, you know, box where he was speaking, just audio. And we, because he had dropped to the second round to the Bengals after he took three players ahead of him in the first. So after that interview, I remember a couple of linebackers were drafted and we went to second round. We left the draft. So no, we didn't have seven rounds. I remember being there. I can't remember what the year was. I was sitting there on day two. And we come in on day two and you'd meet with the media. You just come in, dress casually, no TV requirement responsibilities. You know, we're just sitting there to enjoy relaxing and hearing the names called and talking to everybody. Well, Freddie Gadelli, who produces now, you know, has been a great producer over the years, has done the uh, Sunday Night Football uh, as now. Uh, he was sitting there and he was produced. And I said, Freddie, why are you here for day two? You know, he said, no, I'm scoping this out because next year we're televising every pick. And I don't remember what year it was. I said, wow, every pick, yeah, every pick you're going to be here for. And from that point on, that's what we've done. So in the early years, we barely got into the, we got into the mid-second, late second round, and that was it. So it was a different ball game then. But to answer your question, Braden, no, I have never referred to. Now, when I had the draft report and we got in, I'd always check and have things highlighted. Yes, you have to refer to things when you get in there. You can't remember all those numbers, all those stats and evaluations when you get into the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. So I would refer to that then when we were doing highlight packages. I've had a couple notes of things I had to touch on that we didn't when we did the conversation. But other than that, like bullet points, I really never had anything else that I had to read from or, re or rely on to get through the draft. What's your what's your proudest sort of late round moment? The in the sense of, you know, there's a lot of people that 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 maybe you've looked at on tape once or twice, and it, and it's a it's a difficult recall or whatever. What's what's like somebody who who hops out as you at you as ah uh, I got this one I nailed this one. Well, Steve, it was Tom Brady actually. They played it back. Tom, it was so funny to see that back because Tom Brady from Michigan say, "Well, he wasn't obscure. He was at Michigan, and he had a guy. He was expected to be maybe a fourth round pick. He goes in the late sixth round. I remember when the when we do the highlight packages after we talk about it. I remember talking about Tom Brady. I had a pretty good grade on him. Um, not as high as some claim in their revisionist history of Tom Brady. You know, all of a sudden the second round's popped. I had him in the first round. No, no they didn't. But they, everybody's Brian Billick, my good friend, always said, you know, everybody does revisionist history of quarterbacks. After they're good, you love them. After they're bad, oh, I didn't like that guy. But in terms of Tom Brady, in the, at the end of the sixth round, as a compensatory pick when they had taken a cornerback from Virginia in the sixth round ahead of them, uh, to go back and listen to that evaluation of Brady, when you thought, ah, you know, is he going to make it? Is he not? He ends up being the greatest. When you have about the greatest of all time go at the end of the sixth round and a compensatory pick and you go back to what you said on the air and what you wrote in your report that's something that you never thought then would be what it is now where they're still playing it back every day every time I do a, a TV spot they're playing back the Tom Brady comments that I made who would have thought then at the end of the sixth round this is something we live forever and you'd be talking about the greatest quarterback of all time that's just how how crazy things go when you start doing the draft you can't assume anything and you have to really Steve and and brain take every pick that's made 
seriously to say, hey, this particular player could end up being great. He might be the seventh round compensatory pick. He might be whatever round. It doesn't matter. And the undrafted free agents, look at all those guys that make it big. So you really have to you know, be serious and really realize that, hey, all these kids, this is their day. They could end up being a heck of a lot better than people think. Yeah, it's it, it, and and that he's still playing in 2022. Also, another another weird. <laughs> He'll be part playing of 2052. I know. Probably, I know. Probably. Um, so, get, can you try to explain to people how you even got into this niche? At, at the time, it was niche. Now it's its own sport with its own life cycle and its own TV contracts and everything. But when you they they call you up and you go in with with Boomer and you're doing the the show like. How did that, how was that the thing that you knew you wanted to get into? And did you ever envision where it has become today? I did envision it becoming what it is today. Brett, so why I say one thing in terms of the valuation of players, you get some right, you get some wrong, but the draft itself, I always thought could be huge. And I, I thought that back in high school, I really did. I thought that this is something that why wouldn't you, if you're an NFL fan of a team or you're a college fan and your players are getting selected, wouldn't you want to be in, in seeing what's happening and be interested in where these kids are going to go? As an NFL team, the only way to improve your team back when I started in 1978 season, 79 draft, and all the way through until free agency, and you guys can educate me on when free agency started, I don't remember. But up until then, there was very few trades in the NFL. The only way to improve your team from one year to the next was the draft. That was it. So why? And back when I was, it was 17 rounds and it became 12 rounds. Now it's seven rounds. So there's a lot more players being selected back in the day. And that was the only way you could improve your team from one year to the next. So my thing was, why wouldn't any NFL fan be interested in who these kids are? You couldn't watch more than when I was a kid, one or two games on a Saturday. You watched every game, basically. Right. So you can only see one or two games. You didn't have access to the information that you didn't have any Internet. You didn't have access to any watching of games. No chance of seeing a, a Division One, Double A, Division Two, II, Division Three player. Okay, very little chance of seeing a a Division One A player if he wasn't on national TV. He wasn't with the top team. So I thought this is information they've never had before. They kind of crave this type of information. They're not getting it. Why wouldn't they want it? So when a kid's drafted, you know, from Saginaw Valley State or a kid's drafted from Portland State or your Florida A&M, why wouldn't you want that information from a smaller school or, or from Texas or from Alabama, wherever it may be? So to me, I always thought it would be something that would be huge. Uh, people didn't think so. They were telling me, go get a real job. Nobody cares about the, uh, 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 the NFL didn't want to televise back in the day. They didn't want it to be televised. So, again, you fought all the negativity. You fought through all that, all the negative articles ripping me one side, down, up one side, down the other. You fought through all that to have a belief that in time this would catch on and be a, a huge, incredibly huge event, which it is right now. And I always had fans, guys, back in the day tell me I look more forward to the NFL draft than I do the start of the NFL regular season. That spoke volumes to me. And that resonated with me to say, hey, if a large group of people are telling me this, I don't need to have 100% telling me it. If I got a certain percentage telling me they look more forward to this day, these two days, and they do the entire season or the opening week of the season, I, I think I got something going here. And that's why I always believe strongly in what I was doing. I believe strongly that the NFL draft could be a huge event. Hope is a powerful drug for those fans. <laughs> Very yes. much so. Mm-hmm. And, I, and yep. I, that's what I think that's why you see the Jets fanatics at the you know, at the draft for so long, because, because that's their, that's their time to shine. They, they're not three and 13 at that point. I always say you always love your at Christmas morning. You always love everything you get until you, maybe you try it on. It doesn't fit, right? You maybe it's not, the color doesn't go. So, but when you, you open it, you, you're anticipating it and you'll love it. And Christmas, everybody's happy. And that's when the, when the picks are made, everybody loves their picks. Who doesn't like their sixth, seventh round pick or the undrafted free agents they're bringing in? Or, and then you get them to camp and you see, okay, they may not be able to do this. But the anticipation of the draft, as you said, the hopes, even what's going on. Uh, Braden and I have talked about that a lot, about teams, about the, the differences of opinion on all these players. I mean, one team loves a player, the other team says, ah, I don't like that guy. And then he gets to camp and all of a sudden we'll figure it all out. So I think it's just the build up, the anticipation, the hope, as you said, all that plays together. And it also brings college football and the NFL together for those three great days, the end of April, when you haven't had football really outside of spring practice and spring games since since January. So uh, and then it gets you fired up for the start of the season. The schedule's coming out. All these things football wise or something where you, know, you haven't had it, you want it, you crave it. It brings college football and the NFL together for those three days i always say what could be better than that 
Mel, how do you how do you evaluate your performance year to year on the in the draft? Because do you, do you look at it kind of as the as people are being drafted, or does it take longer to sort of evaluate your evaluation of players? I never care one way or the other, Steve. I, I always I never really look back. I always try to look forward because as soon as the draft's over, I was last night spent till two forty five in the morning. Looking at guys for next year's draft. That's not right. I can show you the list. I got like stack. I'm oh, this guy, I gotta remember this guy. This guy, I remember seeing a little bit of him because I keep notes during the course of the games about guys that are underclassmen. And they I have a check mark where I just I highlight a guy. Oh, I gotta take a look. So that's what I'm doing now. And I spend the whole summer doing that. So does Todd McShay. In fact, he has his way too early mock draft coming out tomorrow. You can believe it. So uh, there's really no time to look back, Steve, and say, Well, how did I do? Or I missed, you're gonna miss players. And, and a lot of times, and I'm not going to say that's the NFL's fault, it's my fault, I was wrong, the NFL didn't coach them. There's all kinds of variables, whether it's an injury, whether it's going to the wrong team, whether it's an organization, and year two changed their entire coaching staff, they didn't have continuity. There's a lot of factors that determine whether a player, like Trayvon Walker, right, he can be great if he's coached properly. And that's up to Brenton Buckner, the defensive line coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars, to take him and make him use his hands, better technique, be a little twitchier. You know, you think about uh, a guy like Tyler Smith coming to Dallas. Right, He'll be a right tackle, hopefully. Well, he sloppy with the technique. I say it was a penalty waiting to happen. But like, oh, Kuiper hit. No, I like Tyler Smith because the, the penalty waiting to happen already happened in Tulsa. Okay? He had 16 <laughs> penalties. They can coach him and correct those things. That's Joe Philbin, the offensive line coach for the Cowboys. This is a mean, nasty, tough kid with really good athletic ability. He can be really good. So I think Tyler Smith, I think Trayvon Walker, you go to a couple other kids and you say, okay, New Orleans, Trevor Penning in New Orleans, right? You have uh, Doug Marones, the offensive line coach in New Orleans, he's going to be a key to Trevor Penning coming out of Northern Iowa. Can he be a starting left tackle with the Saints right away? So all these coaches, they always say, Vinny Serrato, a good friend of mine, was a, a GM in the NFL. Then he said, they have coach in front of their name for a reason. That's always resonated with me. Coach, whatever. You're a coach. You can't get finished product. If we had all finished products, we wouldn't need 50 million assistant coaches. These teams have like 24 coaches now. They got two coaches with the linebackers, two coaches here. Everybody's got to, every player's going to have a coach before we, we, in in another 20 years, every player will have a coach. So coach these guys. You're not going to get finished products coming out of college, especially these kids coming out with very limited experience in some cases. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business hosted by one Mr. Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner. And it is, in fact, brought to you by Jesper's. That was that you had some Tony Husband vibes there. Some Tony Husband vibes with with a Randall layout penalty kick. There's That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. If you want a place to watch, I don't know, like a U.S. Open Cup match, a Stanley Cup playoff game a Memphis Grizzlies playoff game, which have been freaking spectacular, I might add. Maybe between... maybe watch the final Predators game of the season. Oh, maybe. On Monday. Maybe. <laughs> on Monday <laughs> evening, potentially, in game number four, but whatever. Um, uh, just Jaspers is a great place to do it. You can pull your car right into the parking lot. And you don't wait, have wait, to wait. do... Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, the I know. free parking lot? You don't. You know how you look in... You, like, in most places in Nashville, you pull into a parking lot and you look for that stupid big blue P... And you're just like, where's that stupid big blue pea that's like taunting me from across the parking lot? No, they don't. There's no parking lot taunting at Jasper's. You just pull your car into a spot. You get out of your car. You close the door. If you're my wife, you would never lock it. Uh, if you're everyone else in America, you lock it. And then, and then you walk your happy butt into Jasper's. You you can play a free air hockey table, pop a shot. You got a free game room. You got a free patio. They don't charge you to go on the patio either, Steve. No, no. Dine El Frasco. El Frasco. <laughs> Dine El Frasco. El, El, God damn it. Your I Middle Tennessee is showing, Steve. Al Fresco <laughs> at Jasper's. Come on down to Jasper's. <laughs> we can we got, park, yeah. we can park for free. We got a patio and you can play Papa Shot. El Fresco. <laughs> we, we'll cook your fillet mignon. Well done for you. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I remember waiting tables from college and people ordering fillets. <laughs> I'll take the chicken. I'll take the chicken fillets. I'll take uh, that's uh, that's terrible. Can you can you can you put the odd juice on the side, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like a dipper. Oh, my God. 
I've got to tell you, uh, remind me to do this on, on another podcast, but uh, maybe I'll do it in a recommendation one day. Go to Jasper's. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the chicken finger boy is my new favorite thing in the entire world. Chicken finger boy. You, you do not have a chicken finger boy palette, Steve Cavendish, I'm proud to say. And I did not know I needed a name for this particular person in my life. And now I have one and it's called Chicken Finger Boy. And one day I'll explain it to you. <laughs> go, go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. What's interesting is on, on broadcasting and how media has evolved into bigger business. And certainly the draft is definitely qualifies into this bigger showcase now where you're not only just sort of evaluated on what you think about a player, like your picks and predictions and evaluations, but you're also, it's also a, a media job where you have to sort of be the performer on set, like everybody on TV or radio has to be. And I think what's interesting about your career is that you sort of, it's almost like you had the brand of who you were personality wise and the hair and the whole thing and the glasses, like you had that almost from the beginning. And not only were you allowed to deploy this brand to people, but it didn't affect the way you did your job evaluating players, right? I think that marrying those two things together is what makes a great broadcaster. Really, Braden, I don't even think about it. I, I, you know, those things happen, you know, organically and spontaneously. You can't plan anything. But Shay and I never talk about anything going into a podcast, a TV spot. He'll say things and I'll get fired up. I'll say something. I'll get him fired up. We push each other's buttons. But, you know, we know we can get a reaction. I know I get a reaction from him on certain things. But I always wanted that. And Todd's been phenomenal to come along because I didn't have that. You know, and then I, now I have somebody that I can do a show with and say, okay, you have your opinion, I have mine, and we can debate. He's a lot younger, he has a different viewpoint, and that's phenomenal. So I think all those things that have happened from 1983, 84 till now are all just spontaneous things. Same thing when we do it radio, right? I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what Darius going to say. I just react to it. You react to it. We say different things. We argue. We we uh, we debate. We have fun, and it's all forgotten. We move on to the next day. So I never go back and evaluate to Steve's question about to you back. I don't evaluate anything I've ever done on the air, away, valuations. You learn from your mistakes. And I have gone back to answer your question, Steve, about going back and, and Braden, about going back to report. I will say, why did I miss this guy? Why did this guy – you know, have a lower grade than he should. Why did this guy have a higher grade than he should have? I should, shouldn't have been as high on this kid as I was. You go back to that. But to go back to a broad, I wish I would have said this. Wish I, I don't worry about that because it, it's ha all happening instantaneously. It's like you fly by the seat of your pants. The draft is nothing scripted. Nothing is scripted. We have no notes, nothing scripted. The only notes I have is when I refer during highlights to something I want to see that I admit. But when we're reacting on camera, I'm looking at that camera. There's no teleprompter. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at not I'm looking at a camera. So I'm staring at a camera for the whole three days. I, yeah, you don't have time to worry about that. Now, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have things you wish you would have said differently. Sure, but that's that our three-hour show, Dorian right. Melt. Right? When you come on, did you look back? I wish I would have told Kite for this. I wish I would have said. You may, you may not. I, if you're going to worry about that, then you're not going to have a great life. Okay, you're going you're to be a very unhappy. <laughs> I look back on that, be a very unhappy person. If I, if I tried to critique every time I went on a radio or TV or did a podcast, what I did wrong. There's a lot of things I did wrong. You just can't dwell on them. You got to move on. <laughs> Steve, Steve liked that answer. I'm sorry. That's fantastic. I, I, I'm interested because there there has been this kind of fandom that's grown up around you uh, and 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 your work. Uh, I mean, you've got a very specific look. Uh, fans have a lot of fun with that. What's what's the most interesting kind of fan interaction you've had here uh, <laughs> over the years? Oh, it's crazy because the hair has been the big talk. The glasses didn't come, guys, until I don't know what year when I said, I got to get some glasses. Yeah, so <laughs> I got one to see him, but I said it. But, I, but that, the glasses didn't come into the equation until whatever year. I don't even remember what the year was. Uh, but the hair was, as McShay says, the Fabio look. <laughs> I don't I wasn't trying for anything. It was just long, and I let it go. It was 1983. Yeah, I don't remember. I was 23 at the time. Um I didn't really worry about that. Um, you know, Kim hated long hair. My wife, when I, we got married in 89, she cut it. Everybody at ESPN loved Kim more than they did before because she finally got my hair cut. <laughs> uh, so it is a lot shorter than it was back in the day. You can see the pictures. But the hair, the hair was getting talked about when it wasn't a big deal. It was almost like they still thought I had the 84 look in, 90, in 2004, and I didn't. You know, so I was always wondering, like, why are they talking about the hair? 
Yeah, I didn't get that. I said, what, are we going to shave it? Maybe I'll shave it one day and it'll be over and done with. I almost felt like doing that because it got too much discussion. Um, the commentary, talking fast, I always got that. Um, uh, all the different things. And I ended up, it was so funny because I always used to get, they used to put these papers that send me all these articles. And Kim would put them on my desk and say, everyone was negative. It was like, if you read these articles, guys, you would retire. Okay, you say I got I'm in the wrong business because if you read anything are ripping me up one side down the other and I'm reading them after I'm going into the summer with this. What I'm not reading this 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 stuff. People have their opinion, but I don't need to read it. You can say so I stopped even looking at it. And I remember Tony Kornheiser, good friend of mine, you know Tony, uh with Mike Wilbon with PTI. Tony used to write the worst scathing articles about me. If, if you drew, pulled them up and I and I got to know Tony, I said, Tony. Use it. He's up now. All I do is they tell me write an article about Kuiper. I pulled my article last year, reword it. It was negative. I read it again. I wrote it again. He was just saying, he said, I didn't know what the hell. I didn't know what the hell. I'm going to rip you. You're doing a draft. You carry So all that stuff, when you get to know these people, it wasn't any big deal. They didn't know me at the time. And then when I got to know them, I've become a good friend. friends with a lot of these guys, Tony Kornheiser being one of them. Tony's great, but at the end of the day, I didn't know Tony at all. And I'm reading this. I say, he doesn't, he's writing all this stuff. Well, guess what? I'm writing critical things about players too. And there's a lot of families that hear nothing but they see here in my analysis. So we, we're, we're critical. We give critical analysis too. So if people are going to be critical of me, it's a little hypocritical to be upset with people who are ripping me when I'm kind of doing the same thing to some players. So I just looked at it as it's an opinion. Everybody has the right to their opinion. I have a right to my opinion. So you know, Bill Tobin said what he did back in the day, and I always respected that. I, have, I mean, people think I hate Bill Tobin. It was a, the best comment he could have made. The comments that he made were phenomenal. They lived till the day we play him back on the Darian Mel show all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, he had a right to defend his team. He had a right to defend his pick. He had a right to say what he did. And, and that's, that's like, that's like, I'm, I was like Scrooge on Christmas morning. You know, that's what I become, you know? So he has a right to defend his picks. And I, I respect everything Bill said. And I think he, he's and actually Duke Tobin, his son's doing a great job with the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Bill's even with that organization, I bet. And his son, his brother, Bill's brother, Vince Tobin, was a great coach. I, I, I have nothing against Bill Tobin, never have. What he said, I, I kind of agree with. I, I kind of I did agree with it. Defend your team, defend your picks. If you want to go after me, so be. I just remember that day, like it was yesterday, how it all unfolded. And I can still picture what was said by Freddie Goodelli to me in my ear about, you know, you know we're coming to you in this camera and reacting with Bill Tobin saying, I said, I don't, I didn't hear what Bill Tobin was. I'm getting ready for the next. I'm talking to Joe Theismann. I had no idea. And he said, well, talking to the cat. I said, well, what do you want? What am I reacting to? For Just know he's ripping you. And, and, and I reacted to that. So I reacted to Bill ripping. I didn't, Chris Mortensen was interviewing. When we're doing interviews. I don't really pay much attention because we're getting ready for the next pick. I'm talking to Boomer. I'm talking to Joe Theismann on the set. And I didn't even know what was going with Bill and Mort. I had no idea until the Freddie said react to that. So that's how that all unfolded. And what, what it was it, 2004, I guess? That's awesome. no, sorry, I'm in two, 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 it was 1994. Yeah. 1994 it was when that all happened. Yeah, not definitely not high definition yet in 1994. Um, what? So I'm assuming that Kim is the one who reads all the mentions on Twitter and then reads them to you. Is that what's happening now? I assume no, you are not on social media, right? I am on Twitter. Um, I did go, I should, I used to do Twitter chats guys back when, when I started, I don't know what year it was. I was, I'm going to do some, I'm going to go on Twitter. Well, they didn't like that because you're, I guess you're, you're putting out too many tweets. <laughs> it was like, you're giving boom, it boom, away boom. for free. Yeah. I was rapid fire. I did an hour of tweets. Okay. And I was like one after that, they didn't like that. So they're ripping me for doing too many tweets when I wasn't <laughs> doing enough. Uh, so I, I just put up stuff on Twitter here and there, basically to let people know what I'm doing. Um, I, but I mean, you're not. But I mean, you're not. You're not in the mentions where people are responding to you and critiquing you. Oh, gosh, and like no, reading no. all that stuff, have, right? I always tell people, Braden, I don't know what you're saying. I have no. I don't listen. I don't read any articles that are written about me. I don't read. I don't listen to anything from print or social media. I don't read any of that now. So whatever they're saying, whatever you're saying about me on Twitter, I have no clue what you're saying. You're kind of wasting <laughs> your time. <laughs> I have, I'm not reading it and not getting to me. I don't even think Kim checks it. So nobody checks it. So whatever people are saying on Twitter about me, uh, they can uh, knock yourself out. You know, <laughs> Scream into the void all you want to. Mel doesn't care. <laughs> With a howl to the moon because I'm not hearing you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve, I want, I want to ask him about the Titans real quickly before we end. So, Steve, do you have anything else you want to go to here before we get into the Titans? So, so I want to ask, uh, have you had any, what's the, what's the best endorsement pitch that's been made to you over the years? Cause I'm sure you've had, I'm sure you've had some people come to you and say, 
you know, we'd really love for Mel Kuyper to be the face of X. There's got to be something well, good in there. There was the uh, Just for Men, obviously, sure. their color. Um, so we did that last year. I'm waiting for Ready Whip, guys. I mean, I, I'm the Ready Whip <laughs> king. I mean, I got Ready Whip uh, guys, uh, you know, uh, Rick and Dave and um, – in New York, uh, they sent me a Ready Whip, a fat-free whipped cream because I've bumped pumpkin pie and fat-free Ready Ready Whip has not called me, Steve and, and Braden. Uh, Ready Whip has not called Brady. You believe it? Where's oh, your agent Ready at? Whip. Where is your agent at on this? I, I, we, I, what else can you do? I mean, I, I got fat-free whipped cream everywhere on the tables. I got it on every. <laughs> My ready whip, I can get you the kid. Like they sent me a dozen of them yesterday in the refrigerator right there. The with the little light blue can, you know, um, <laughs> fat free ready whip. I, that's the one I'm expecting something from. But ready whip just evidently is not interested. <laughs> but I'll keep getting my ready whip, fat free whipped cream. But no, other than that, really, the the just for men. I don't think Steve anything else. No, no. Nobody else is. I, I, this is a missed opportunity, America. Yeah, this is <laughs> missed opportunity. I, I can I can already see the ready whip in the form of the hair, like on oh, the top yeah, of your absolutely. head. Like it's it writes itself, Mel. It writes itself. See? See? Yeah. Um, all right. So quickly here, we'll let you go, man. We really appreciate your time, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on forget the AJ Brown trade. Once the right. AJ Brown trade happens for the Tennessee Titans, because that's sort of like you have to separate that from the equation. But once it happens. They have these picks. They have all these picks. They're on the clock at 18. They trade out at 26. How do you think the Titans handled after the trade took place? How do you think they handled matching value and need and quality with the with their entire draft? Yeah, I think you look at when your A.J. Brown trade, they happened then say, okay, how are we replacing him for Ryan Tannehill and what happened at the end of the year? And you get a guy, everybody says he's the perfect comp. Comps are always best case scenario. So with Burks, that's the best case scenario. He can become A.J. Brown. I think the draft was really impacted with Malik Willis. I, I think that's the most fascinating. Everything There are certain picks he's saying, 20 years from now, what are you going to remember? You know, we're going to remember Malik Willis going in the third round to the Tennessee Titans. How does this play out? Is this a big deal? Is this the heir apparent? Is this a guy who can beat, beat out Ryan Tannehill in a couple of years? Will be the heir apparent? Is this a guy that's going to be spectacular? Or is he going to be just a guy? who we thought had a lot of talent. We know has a lot of talent, but never, it never really came together in the NFL. Is he going to be an accent piece? Is he going to be like Trey Lance in San Francisco? Is he going to be like Lamar Jackson was early in his career, that first year in Baltimore with Joe Flacco, where he ran the ball really effectively and gave defensive coordinators so much to think about? I want to see how Tennessee works him in because his legs, his running skills are outstanding. He's deceptively fast. He's deceptively strong. He's powerful. He's tough. They can have packages for him to run the football. And Tannehill and defensive coordinators between Tannehill and Malik, you can give a lot, a lot, you have a lot to worry about and a lot of sleepless nights. So they can work Malik in without having him worry about he's not going to start. He's not going to be a factor for another couple of years. You knew that coming out of Liberty with the things he needed to work on. But with his ability to run the football, you can give him packages that will really, I think, benefit this Tennessee offense. So I think this draft is going to be defined by what Malik Willis, the, the, how, they, how they utilize him and what he develops into. I, I know you've been asked a million times to sort of grade everybody, so I'm not going to ask you that, but they, they get Roger McCurry in the second round. They come back and they get Hassan Haskins. They get the tight end out of Maryland. They get Kyle Phillips. They get Chance Campbell. They get all these pieces. Are there, are there any, outside of Malik Willis, are there pieces in there that you love more, hate more than some of the others? You made a big mistake there, Braden. You had mentioned too many of their picks because you got to my Calvert Hall guy. I'm Calvert Hall. Chance Campbell's Calvert Hall. My, I've known Chance forever. I've known the family forever. He's a great kid. He's a, he's a kid who was a leading tackler at Maryland, leading tackler at Ole Miss. He was the difference maker on that Ole Miss defense. Went from bad to good. Uh, Chance is, a, is, is it's, he'll be always the smartest football player on the field defensively. He, his football IQ is through the roof. And he can run around under four six at the combine vertical almost 40 inches. So chance is going to be, I think, a guy can help you right away on special teams and be a factor. Kyle Phillips, I com I compared my comp was Hunter Renfro. And I think he can be that kind of guy. He had a couple of drops here and there, but he could be a hundred, he's quick out of his break. He understands how to get open the slot. I think he's a Hunter Renfro type. Uh, I think a lot Roger McCreary had a first round grade going into this year. Now he doesn't have great length. But as a cover guy, I saw some quick guys beat him at times. One-on-one is recovery ability. doesn't have great arm length. But he's a guy who played a lot of football, seasoned veteran. I think Roger McCreary will help that secondary. So overall, they got a lot of guys that can play the game uh, at a solid level. Uh, they got some guys that are going to help this team on both sides of the ball. So uh, I'm, I'm, 
I thought it was a solid draft overall for the Tennessee Titans. Not, you know, everybody's going to say you could add this guy. And I haven't really, I go over that more so as the summer when you look back and say, you know, this particular player or that particular player they could have had after we see how they evolve. But that's revisionist history. And that's easy yeah. to do once they're in camp, once they're playing. You try to not even worry about that to an extent because that's not defining the grade of a, of a team. So overall, for the players they got, if they can, if one of those late-round picks they hit on, like I'm talking about, I mentioned a couple of those kids, then it's a really good draft. If they don't, then it yeah. becomes an average draft. So this will play out in the long run. But they like everybody. I thought everybody, even the C-plus teams I gave New England, that got good football players. Did they reach a little bit, New England, based on our grades? Yeah. But for them, it wasn't a reach. Yeah. They took guys they like, and we didn't have a problem with kind of football players they took. So even the teams that got the C plus grades got a lot of good football players, in my opinion. Do, do you believe that Nicholas Petit Ferrer can play guard, or is he just a tackle? I think he's a right tackle. Yeah. I thought that all. I think that's when he was at his best. Left tackle, the quick guys got a little bit of, and even then he held his own more than held his own. You go back to Carlotta's. Uh, Petit Ferrer played pretty well. I'm mean, pretty well. He played really well in a lot of those games. So yes, I have a versatile guy like that that's been battle-tested in the Big Ten, has gone up against really good pass rushers in practice at Ohio State. Um, no, I, I thought he could be a second-round pick, uh, and, and, and yeah. nobody would have argued. I thought he could have – at one point in time, I thought maybe he was going to be a late one during the season. So uh, where they got him, yeah, he made a lot of sense. Mel, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your time. I know you've had a, a really busy time, and I guess you get to relax a little bit here, but uh, – we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, man. We do. Brayden, Steve, that was a lot of fun, guys. I can't wait till you're back with the Dari. Dari takes a little vacation break and hop in. Hey, you, you can, you feel free to text my bosses. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm oh, not gonna hate you for that. I'm not gonna hate you for that. Hey, you send me a bad dozen fat free. You went ready with fat free. I'm going there quicker. In, in the mail right in now. The mail. In the mail. <laughs> Thank see you, bud. guys. Appreciate see it, bud. Take care, man. See you, pal. Go ahead, man. Take care, buddy. That was Mel Kuyper, everybody. Um, what I find interesting about about him is his ability. And we alluded to this, Steve, before. Well, again, we'll get to Jodis Park and some recommendations, but just his ability to put on blinders as both a broadcaster, as sort of a a, a person building a brand for himself, focusing on the sport. Like his ability to be so focused on what he does, and and sort of like not worry about the noise that comes along with the job for 40 years in the media. I just, I, I think it's remarkable and I'm just jealous of his ability to just sort of like put those blinders on, do his work crush, and then like move on to the next draft class. <laughs> I think you're just jealous of his hair. Uh, there's some of that, but that's not really baked into this, you know, like <laughs> you don't have to be that rude. <laughs> uh, the, the, the thing, the thing that I have always liked about Kuiper is his ability to not give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the, I mean, there've been some high profile incidents over the years where, you know, we talked about the Bill Polian one on here um, where, I mean, Mel is committed to what he's committed to. And if somebody wants to take him to task, he's like, great, come on, go for it. That's he's like, he's not going to argue with him. I mean, he might, he might argue with him, but I mean, he, he's not, he's not going to take offense at it. He's, I mean, he has built this industry around his opinion. Uh, and he is, he's very sure of his opinion. Uh, and that confidence is, is the, is one of the only reasons that, that, uh, that, you know, you, I think it has sustained him for 40 years. You, you have to, you have to be that sure in kind of what you're doing. And, 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 and to be fair, it, it's not uninformed confidence. I mean, he puts the work in, um, yeah. but, but he transmits that confidence every single time he's on air. I mean, yep. when, when Mel's coming in and talking about a, you, you know, a seventh round pick, a, and, a, an Ole Miss, an Ole Miss linebacker. And he starts talking about his family. Right. I mean, he's done the work. Yeah. 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 He has yeah. absolutely done the work and apparently does it without notes which yeah. I just find extraordinary that he's committed hundreds of players to memory here by the time, you know, by the time yeah. uh, the draft rolls I, around. I also don't think I'm not sure. And you can, you, you can chime in on this cause this will segue us nicely unless you have anything else to add about Kuiper. Cause I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think that ties in perfectly with sort of the blinders and his ability to just focus on what he does. Um, I, I, I don't believe 
And I know MLS is growing at a rapid pace. Soccer is growing outside, uh, or at least in America, maybe at a pretty rapid pace. I know the NHL has sort of developed here in Nashville over the last decade or so. Um, I think recruiting, signing day became a thing for like a little while with like a small cross-section of fans. But I don't think we are ever going to see an entire sport invented out of thin air and then become this big a part of our cultural sports diet like the NFL draft did over the last 30 years. Like he, again, remember what he said in the interview, they would cut away during the second round, which means hall of famers, (laughs) you know, that were taken for a tractor pull in the eighties. And now it is a traveling circus that goes from city to city every year, bringing hundreds of millions of dollars of economic impact and, experience to NFL fans uh, is there anything else that could that in the like obviously I'm asking you to project project the future here I don't think I mean F1 is growing golf is growing there's a lot of things that are growing but I don't think anything's ever going to just come out of nowhere and Mel Kuyper saw it all before everybody else I don't think it's replicable it's certainly not replicable in most other sports uh the one the the fascinating thing about the draft is um the depth of it and, 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 and across the league. And, and we talked about, we touched about this, touch on this a little bit, you know, and so but like why jets fans and why, you know, other perennial loser franchises uh, always kind of, kind of emphasize the draft because it's hope. Uh, and it's, you know, even, even I, as a Titans fan, I, I was really interested in, you know, who the sixth and seventh round picks are, you know, those are, those are marginal picks. Sometimes they don't make the club uh, or they're on the practice squad, but I was interested in, in kind of who they are and like kind of how they're good, how they might contribute this year. Um, and it, there, there's not anybody, there's not any other sport that acquires its labor pool all through this single funnel. Yeah. Like on one weekend. Yeah. Right. I mean, baseball, uh, you know, baseball it's yeah. is, is, is more, more scattered. Soccer is incredibly scattered. Impossible to explain to someone who's not a fan. Well, I mean, and yeah, and and the the MLS, you know, the the vagaries of of the MLS sort of acquisition system. I I mean, I've I've followed this stuff for a long time. I, you know, I still get the rules wrong every now and then. It's all right. We've got like a couple days coming up where we can get somebody from Europe and play right back. I don't know. Like that's... (laughs) I don't know when that is or how much Or we have, we have, you know... $250,000 $250,000 of TAM and $500,000 of GAM. And how do we make all of, I mean, it's just, it's yeah. ridiculous. Um, all that to say this, the, it, it is unique. I don't think it's replicable. Uh, and the, 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 it is one of the genius things about the NFL that they have created a two month window here yeah. where yeah. all they do is talk about essentially the next season. And the great thing about it from the NFL's perspective is, there aren't really any losers. No, and, and you're building what you're also doing, and this is an underrated part of this, is you're building relationships with the next wave for fans yeah. because you're getting to see these little things about these players and their personal lives and their skill sets and they're on the field this and their games that. And, and again, I'm, I'm always amazed at people in the North who just don't watch college football on Saturdays at all, like not even like big games. And I don't, I don't understand. So then they're like, who's this Bryce Young fellow? <laughs> and you're like... And so the NFL has to introduce him to like the entire cross-section of people down here. We don't have that problem, but um, I, I don't know. The only thing I can think of Steve, and this is obviously not even close. The only thing I can think of that was sort of just fabricated out of thin air. That is a huge part of our diet is like the college football playoff rankings committee. Unlike the release where we have this like cottage industry on Tuesdays. And then we also have like, just, it dominates conversation in our sport, but that's more baked in and woven into the actual college football product itself than anything else. It's also, it's also much more about, I mean, that is almost more about bitching than it is about, uh, than it is about, you know, the, 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 again, the, the, the interesting thing about the draft is it's all largely positive. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, I don't know. You don't, you must not read Twitter. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd like been, to introduce you to a little website called Twitter. I, yeah, uh, I'm not sure you've been uh, backstroking through Titans Twitter in the last week or not. But uh, I try not it? to. I try not to swim in those waters very often. Not all positive. Those adolescent. The, the, the Titans fan base is maturing. I've said this before. It's in. It's like it's graduating from eighth grade this year, and it's moving into freshman year of high school because it's an adolescent teenage child right now, but it's okay. They're growing up. They're becoming football fans. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, all right. So let's get to real quickly. Jodas park. Um, I, I have a couple of small complaints, sure. and, but otherwise, like I only say that to, to lead with that, Steve, because everything else is pretty much awesome. Like the building is amazing. We've, you and I have been in there before, so it wasn't like we hadn't seen it, but to see it full, to hear it full, um, to actually get to walk up the hill, you know, I paid for a parking pass. I'll be honest because my season tickets were so cheap <laughs> compared to like what people were paying to get in. I was like, yeah, I'll pay the $20 to go park or whatever, right next to the stadium. So we parked right next to the stadium, walked up the big, beautiful hill up the steps. You know, the wife was like, I can't believe, you know, thank you for making me come to this. Like she's not a huge soccer person, but now really loves the stadium. Uh, no complaints at all. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, maybe put one of those home in the first 25 minutes, but whatever. Um, cause they were all right in front of us and it just all like the, the, the kid, the, the keeper for the union was just insanely good. Um, yeah. the, the couple of small things, bathrooms are unbelievable. Um, if it's going to be hot, it's going to be a hot day and you're going to have an unbelievably crowded concourse, turn on the massive fans that you've installed. Uh, they weren't sure. On, sure. So turn I mean, I think on. because it was, I think because it was in the seventies, they didn't, I, I guess there were a lot of people that were very, very hot and sweaty. And when you combine that with a lot of beer, uh, <laughs> turn the fans on, but most importantly, number one complaint, sorry, I'll land the plane TVs. You need to put TVs and screens in the concourse. There is no, the only, the only place you could see any action after you left your seat were these tiny little screens up next to the menus inside the concession stands. So you couldn't even see them from the concourse while you're walking. There was no big board anywhere. There's no screens. You've got, you've got tons of metal to hang them on if you want, but there is no, there was no way to track what was happening if I had to go to the bathroom or go get concessions. So my number one complaint of an otherwise perfect afternoon is put put some damn screens in the concourse so I can see what's going on when I hear the crowd roar and I'm taking a leak. The they're going to have parking slash and it's less not less of a parking issue, uh, although parking is not massive. Communicate uh, with the train yard. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, if you were if you were trying to come up, uh, if you were trying to come up Craighead from from oh, Barry, it was, from Berry Hill, there was a got, train stopped across the tracks yeah. for an hour before the opening of the largest soccer specific stadium in North America. Did, yeah, somebody maybe, didn't talk to somebody else. Well, I mean, CSX who controls those controls those lines. People have had a have had a kind of a running battle with CSX for years over, over over a lot of that stuff the there are going to be egress issues i mean uh -huh. I, I so i i was parked on the speedway which is always kind of fun i mean <laughs> i looked up and i was like oh hey look there's turn one driving on a uh, racetrack that's cool you know you get to walk across the racetrack it's fun um but after the game i did the I did the uh, press conference and, and and some other stuff, and so I, I didn't leave for like I don't know, like in like forty five minutes or an hour after the game, and I still had to wait to get out. Oh, for real? Yeah. All right. Um, so so I did the uh, is it Doctor Rick in those insurance commercials where he's like, why don't we wait till uh, why don't we wait till we're inside the stadium before we talk about leaving the game? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're all compact spots anyway. This is how they make all their money. <laughs> um, but here, so I, I pulled a really big Doctor Rick moment. We, we got into stoppage time and we watched them like on their last challenge. And then we were like down out of our seats already. And we booked it down the steps. We were like the first car leaving from the parking lot. I think parking lot five. And we got out of there and down Bransford and up onto Wedgwood and up onto the interstate in a matter of like 35 seconds. Wow. You just got to be the first few people out of the building. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, because there, there, there are choke points around there. Yep. Yeah. That, that you're just going to or just take your time i mean and just just settle yep. in and know that it's going to take yep. you it's going to take you a while to get out of there walk over to ml rose and have a beer and a burger uh, other than that though i mean the stadium is spectacular uh it was interesting to see it kind of all striped up 
I, I put this in my piece. I, I wrote a column for the scene about it. One of the things that one of the things that I that will never cease to amuse me is the mascot for the for the team is a reference to a viral uh, photo of a coyote in Music City Center. Matter of fact, if you go back in, in <laughs> that's right. Back in the if you go back in Tempo's uh, Twitter feed, the first photo that that they released of him. He's sitting on the bathroom counter that that coyote yep. was on, you know, three or four years ago when it was in there. Did they did they do any testing on this? Like, did they do any market testing? On I, I don't think so. Okay. But <laughs> the commitment to the bit is so good. I know <laughs> there is a banner hanging from the side of the stadium with tempo on it. It hangs over in the southwest corner. It, it hangs over a concession stand dedicated to tempo. They fantastic taken a meme and brought it to life. Yeah. I'm so amused by this. 2022 baby. 2022. It it is one of, it is one of the, just the, the quietly funniest things they have done. Um, All right. Great day at the park, beautiful stadium, taking the daughter uh, this weekend. So we'll, we'll get even more, um, and I would say here, here for you soccer fans who are still listening, check out the club and country podcast, not because it's a great podcast about soccer, but they're going to have a fun announcement for you coming up on next week's episode. We might be giving away some tickets to some games. Excellent. So make sure you go listen to that podcast. So, um, all right, quickly recommendations here. I, I think I am 39 years old and I think anybody within, I would say five to eight years on the plus or negative side of me has to sit down and watch the documentary on Netflix about Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh God. It is called white hot and it is going to take turns that you do not expect. I have, I have a number of friends, including an ex-girlfriend who worked at uh, <laughs> Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh, you were on a podcast with someone who that documentary hits way too close to home <laughs> as, as, as someone who worked in the Cool Springs Galleria as a teenager in 1998 and 99 wow. in high school, man, it hit. And like my wife was on the couch doing the same thing. We were having some really serious, bizarro flashback vibes. But it's fascinating from a media standpoint because of how they marketed their product pre social media, which was bags, photos, magazines, and they built an entire brand. The clothing was the last possible thing they were selling you. <laughs> Yeah, it was this other stuff, and they go so deep into it. There's also if by like, other stuff. Do you mean sex? Uh, ex- more than that, dude. Exclusivity. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole thing, and it's like again, if you if you're interested in sort of how we created brands pre social media, they did an extraordinary job of sort of painting the picture. There's also lots of like the photographer was potentially pretty shady, and there's also like a, at the same time, there's this huge gay rights sort of phenomenon that they were put that they were like involved in without anybody really knowing that it was happening. <laughs> so they they're using Channing Tatum to sell rugby shirts to like 18 year old frat bros with a bunch of guys wrestling half naked. <laughs> like yeah. It was it. But the, so the layers are just amazing. And again, if you are 39 ish, like I am, uh, it will hit way too close to home. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so go check well, it out. That, that's a, that's a better pitch than the, than the, than the, the clip that I saw. So I will definitely watch that. I mean, uh, you know, it is what it is also. <laughs> I, I have two quick music related things. Um, one is uh, that you have recommended this book and it comes out next week. Uh, it's Marissa Moss's her country. Uh, there's an event at, at um, Parnassus. Uh, there is an interview with her and Brittany McKenna, who is another spectacular uh, music writer. Uh, and, it's just a Q and a between Marissa and Brittany and about the book and kind of how she wrote the book, uh, that's in the scene this week. It's very good. Please go read it. Um, the other one is the other one is a Marissa Moss, uh, article, which is in vulture this week, which is New York magazine. Uh, and the, the title of it is, uh, we're taking Cheryl Crow for granted. And, and it's, uh, it's making the case about Sheryl Crow's influence and her 
uh, and her musical impact mm. that that I had not that I had not considered. Uh, and I'm a Cheryl Crow fan, uh, and you know she she lives here in Nashville. You, I mean, you you don't have to try real hard to kind of see her out and about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a it is a it is a very good piece. Highly recommend it. Uh, Marissa is a great writer. I mean, go buy her book, but go read the yep. article first. And I'm not sure how many like female artists that that kind of came up at that time and 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 sort of had to pave a way for a lot of other people behind them stayed above the fray the way Cheryl Crow I feel like did like almost all like not Madonna not Janet Jackson not the Dixie Chicks like there's a lot of people that sort of had to fight that uphill battle as female artists in that period of time am I wrong to think that I don't I can't remember like a a Cheryl Crow like upsetting anybody um no I mean or did I or did I miss miss the story I mean the the fight around uh Tuesday Night Music Club which is her first album uh is is a really interesting one and kind of like her kind of war with the producers afterwards well but it it wasn't like a social I don't you you get what I'm saying like like the Dixie Chicks getting like treated the way they did for their position right right I just mean I don't I feel like she's been above the fray and sort of liked by everyone yeah, if that makes sense as uh, for Cheryl Crow. So anyway, so go check out the uh, I, I could not could not double down on anything Marissa Moss more than than uh, than you have. Like it's one of the she's one of the best writers in the city music and uh, go check out the book, Her Country. And then also go watch a really thoughtful documentary about um, loud music at the mall. <laughs> That's the quality of recommendations you're getting on the show uh, this week. Special thanks to Mel Kuyper for hanging out with us, man. He was great. Uh, really appreciate him. Don't tweet at him because he doesn't care. Uh, you can tweet at Steve Cavendish, at S Cavendish. You can tweet at me, at Braden Golf. Thank you guys all for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again next week. This has been Lamestream Sports right here on the 440 Sports Network.